Good morning again, Hill family. How are we doing this morning? If you have a Bible, please open it to Galatians chapter 5 this morning. Galatians chapter 5. Jesus' call regarding how we are to live together as the people of God is not ambiguous from the pages of the Bible. It's not a matter that we're left to debate about or wonder what it looks like. There are over around a hundred one another commands in the New Testament, which define and spell out what it looks like to live the Christian life. These include things like pray for one another, serve one another, outdo one another in showing honor, put the interests of one another before yourself, comfort one another, bear one another's burdens, etc. These commands, they're given to us not for our mere consideration, They're given to us as divine instructions we are called to obey as the people of God. And central to these one another commands is the overriding theme of love. First Peter chapter four reminds us, keep loving one another earnestly, he says. Romans 12 exhorts us to let love be genuine and love one another with brotherly affection. The Apostle Paul goes on in Colossians chapter three to summarize the Christian life, he says, Above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. The gospel is the the unimaginable expression of God's great love for us in Jesus. It's natural then, it follows naturally that the Christian community would be founded on and would be formed by this same love, which our text in Galatians 5 is going to point us to this morning. But our text this morning from Galatians 5 does more than just reiterate our call as a church to love one another. <clears throat> this, our text grounds the, the Bible's call to love one another in our Christian liberty or our freedom. The Christian Christ has purchased our freedom in the gospel. He has set us free. And he has set us free to love and serve him through a life of service to one another. So on this final Sunday of 2023, I, I, I wanted to preach maybe what we might say a bottom shelf type of text, at least a bottom shelf for me, a, a simple, straightforward, very accessible, gospel-focused text. And this is, the, this is the time of year, I think, when, at least on some level, most of us will spend some time both probably reviewing the previous year, and then also planning uh, for what's ahead in the upcoming year. And, and that's a good thing. I, I want to use Galatians 5 this morning to really provide us with what we might say are some, uh, some lenses or aliens by which that we can do both of those things. We can, by Galatians 5, we can look back, we can review our Christian walk last year in 2023. We can also use Galatians chapter 5 to motivate us for what's ahead in 2024. What we learn from our text this morning is that Christ has set us free to love and serve him through a life of loving service to one another. Christ has set us free. It's a theme we want to make sure we focus on this morning, freedom. Christ has set us free to love and to serve him. And we do that through a life of loving service to one another. Galatians chapter 5, put your eyes on verse 13. Holy Spirit says to us by way of the Apostle Paul, beginning in verse 13. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, 
but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Father, help us this morning as we pause after the reading of your word, a a very simple, straightforward text, easy to understand, not as easy to walk out every day of our lives, but one that I would like to, as I've been confronted with this week, confront our church with. How do we take the blessing that you've given us of Christian community, the great love that we have for each other, the deep meaningful relationships that you've given us in the gospel and multiply those for your kingdom purposes. God, let us understand, embrace, walk in the freedom that we have in Christ this morning. Holy Spirit, attend to the preaching of your word this morning as we end this year together. In Jesus' name, amen. Apostle Paul wrote the wrote to the church in Galatia to correct a massive problem of uh, false belief in the gospel, or we could say a belief in a false gospel. And the seriousness of this, uh, what's at stake, is evident from the letter's opening line. Maybe if you want to turn to the first chapter of Galatians, skipping Paul skips his usual words of commendation that we find in all of his letters. He launches directly into a strong rebuke in chapter 1, verse 6. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and returning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. The some who trouble you is a reference to a group of false teachers known as the Judaizers who were distorting the gospel by adding to the gospel. We dealt with this as we went through the our study through the book of Acts. The gospel of grace was being trampled on. It was being replaced by a, a gospel, we would say, of, of works. But that's a gospel which is, in fact, no gospel at all. Instead of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, they were teaching faith plus circumcision, faith plus keeping the law. But any addition to grace results in the destruction of grace. As Thomas Goodwin said, grace is grace only when it is when it is in every way grace and kept free of all obligations or help from us. The gospel is up is not up for revisions or edits. Paul points to the certainty of this in verse eight of chapter one, when he says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be anathema, let him be accursed. The heart of the of the gospel, the free gift of God's grace was at stake by this false teaching in their adding law keeping as necessary to be saved. The false teaching was a form of spiritual. This false teaching was a form of spiritual bondage, in fact. The freedom and liberty of the gospel was in danger of being trampled on which is where Paul turns his attention to in chapter 5. And as, we, as, we, as he says in verse 1 of chapter 5, put your eyes there, for freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Jesus is our liberator. Conversion, Christian conversion, is an act of emancipation. The Christian life, therefore, is one of freedom. Christ has set us free 
from sin. And he has set us free from the curse of the law or the tyranny of the law, language here, as a means of trying to earn our righteousness through law-keeping, an impossible task. This is spiritual bondage, in fact. Jesus has come to remove this yoke of slavery. Christ removed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. The false teaching of these Judaizers was a return to a spiritual bondage in trying to earn one's acceptance before God. Jesus plus anything actually equals nothing. But Jesus plus nothing or no addition to Jesus is everything we need for eternal life. And maybe you're here this morning believing a false gospel. That Christianity is about your performance before God. About you doing what's right to earn your acceptance before God. I want to be very direct with you. That is a false gospel. That is no gospel at all. That is opposite to what Christianity teaches. The reality is we are sinners. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. We have all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And we know that because of God's law, which testifies to both God's holiness and our sinfulness, that no matter how hard we try, we cannot earn God's acceptance. And not because God is mean. Not because He's stubborn. It's because He's holy. He's righteous. He's pure in every way. And we are fallen in every way. We do not have the ability to earn the righteousness necessary to stand before a holy and righteous God. Christianity, therefore, is a message of grace. Though we deserve God's wrath and judgment for our sin, He sent His Son, the righteous one, who lived the perfect life of righteousness we should have. He perfectly kept the law as we should have. But then He died the death we deserved for breaking the law upon the cross. And by faith in Him and His work in the gospel, we receive forgiveness, we receive righteousness, we receive the removal of our guilt and our shame, and yes, we receive freedom from trying to perform in order to stand before the Lord. This is what Paul means when he says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. That is the gospel. That is the good news. So, to be straightforward, if you're somehow here this morning, believing that church attendance, your prayers, your financial giving, your baptism, or any other religious activity is what is going to make you right before the Lord, you're wrong. Only faith can do that. You need His righteousness. You need His forgiveness. And by faith, you must accept His gracious removal of your yoke of slavery and trying to earn your place before Him. Christianity is about freedom found and experienced by grace alone, through faith alone. In Christ alone. And Jesus plus anything equals absolutely nothing. But Jesus plus nothing is everything you need in this life. But how about you, Christian, this morning? Was your 2023 characterized by you walking in your freedom? Or maybe by you moving on from grace and trying to live your Christian life by your own performance? How often maybe did you find yourself in that place of constant comparison to other believers this past year? 
you find yourself falling into that trap of thinking your status before God is based upon your consistency or lack thereof of your religious activity. If so, you must repent. We need to stand firm in our freedom, which Christ has fully purchased for us this upcoming year. What exactly does this freedom entail? What? That's what the rest of this sermon text is going to focus on. I want to look at three aspects here first, that Christ set us free first to oppose the flesh in verse 13. It says, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Now, hear this, there are two opposite but equal distortions of grace we must always be on guard against. One is legalism. The other is license. Both are destructive to grace. Both are destructive to the gospel. Two ditches we must not fall in on either side. Legalism has been Paul's main concern in this letter in terms of the Judaizers, as I've been discussing. Legalists attempt to live under the law, believing God's acceptance depends on their right conduct and performance. License, however, is the pendulum swing to the other side. It is the dismissal of the law. Believing that since we are under grace, God's law no longer applies to us. That is an equally destructive position in terms of grace. While Paul has been building his case for Christian freedom from legalism, he's now going to clarify this freedom in terms of license. So while the gospel frees us from bondage to the law, it does not free us to a life of no restraint. Grace sets us free. Yes, it does. But grace sets us free that we might be graciously bound to Christ. Christian freedom is never a license to sin. We know this first by the fact that our freedom is described here, as look at it again, in terms of a calling. He says, for you were called to freedom. So Christian, your spiritual life does not begin, it did not begin, with your decision to follow Jesus. It began with God's call for you. To decide to follow Jesus. He took the initiative in his grace while you were still in bondage to your sin. The reality is in our fallen nature, we don't want to turn to Christ. In our fallen state, we could not, nor could we in our own, in our own ability turn to Christ. Grace came to us in Jesus and grace called us. So if you're a follower of Jesus today, it is not through any merit of your own, but through the gracious call of God upon your life. You were called by Christ and you were called to Christ. And Christian freedom requires restraint in accordance to Jesus. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Now, flesh here is a reference not to our physical bodies, but to our fallen human nature. We are not to use our freedom as an opportunity to indulge in the flesh. Christian freedom is freedom from sin, never freedom to sin. And Paul's language here emphasizes the self-serving nature of our flesh, of our sinful nature. Our flesh, our sinful selves seek to serve us. Seeks to indulge in the passions and the lust of our flesh. Our fallen nature is twisted bent in on ourselves, self-centered, and prone to sin. Christ has come 
to set us free from the bondage of ourselves, our sinful nature. And legalism and both license are both expressions of this, both of them. Legalism is founded on pride, self-righteousness. It's the belief that a person can secure their place before God through their own merits, their own efforts, their own achievements. It's pride. It's rooted in the flesh. It's centered on self and therefore a form of bondage, in fact. But so is license. The call today in our world of freedom to do and express yourself however you want is actually a wicked form of spiritual slavery. Right? Our culture calls for freedom and even demands for freedom. But it's a freedom depicted as, unbridled, as, as one's unbridled ability to do whatever we want, which is no freedom at all. Lack of restraint is actually a radical enslavement to ourselves. Freedom is not the ability to think or do whatever pleases you. That's the cruelest form of slavery. Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 34, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. License is as much a form of bondage as legalism is. The reality is life outside of Christ is bondage. We're bound by our sin. And we are bound to a life of performance and pursuit of trying to earn our acceptance before God outside of Christ. And performance, beloved, as I'm sure you're aware of, is a debilitating way to live your life. And performance is an impossible way to live a godly life. For it's fixated on the self. Or we might say the perception of ourselves before other people. And the reality is we all struggle with this on varying levels in our life. Freedom is Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. So liberation is Christianity. But here's where we need to be clear. Because Christ has set us free from servitude to our sinful self but he has done so that we might embrace a much higher calling of servitude to one another so we move down to verse 14 we see that christ sets us free to love others it says for you were called to freedom brothers only do not use your freedom as an opportunity to the flesh for the flesh but through love serve one another So Christian freedom calls us to something much higher than just opposing the flesh. We should do that, but it calls us something much higher. Christ has freed us and empowered us to love and serve him by loving and serving one another. Strangely paradoxical thing, right? Christian freedom finds expression through a life of loving servitude. That seems counterintuitive. But Christian liberty is service, not selfishness. This is the contrast we have to pay attention to. We've been called to freedom, not as an opportunity to serve ourselves, but to serve one another, which is actually the embodiment of the gospel, which is actually the portrait of the Lord Jesus himself. When the disciples approached Jesus regarding who would be the greatest in the kingdom with themselves at the center of that conversation, what seat am I going to sit in? 
Jesus responded in Mark chapter 10, 43, 45, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So our freedom as Christians, spiritually, was purchased by Christ's humble service towards us. Therefore, it only makes sense that our freedom should be, should produce, should find expression in the same service towards one another. But there's an important qualifier here attached to our service. Paul says we are to serve one another through love or humbly in love. The service we are called to is to be an expression of love. In other words, the heart of our service must be love for it to be true service. Paul highlights the emphasis here on love by quoting from Jesus, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So our, our freedom is not licensed to ignore God's law. And our, our love is not expressed somehow by going around the law. No, our, our love provides us the opportunity to fulfill the law. And again, Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is like it, as he quotes here, as we hear in Galatians, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Paul echoes Jesus' words in Romans 13 when he says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the, love one, uh, for, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this one, in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So while as Christians we are not bound under the old system of the law, when we genuinely love and serve one another, we fulfill the requirements of the law. God has always demanded heart service from his people. And the motivation of love has always been the only acceptable motivation for serving God and serving others. So the purpose of our Christian freedom is for us to surrender our desire to serve ourselves, serve our sinful flesh in order to love and serve God by loving and serving one another. We love God truly. We can love people freely and then fulfill the law of the Lord. So here's the thing. You see, the, the false teachers of these, the false teaching of these Judaizers with their emphasis on law keeping was actually perpetuating bondage to the law and furthering the inability to keep the law truly. Right? Until we embrace and understand grace, the free gift of God's love for us in Jesus, we cannot fulfill the law because we lack the proper motivation of love to do such. The gospel frees us to love. Romans 5, 5. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. We fulfill the law through love which we know and have been given in the gospel. And this love expresses itself through serving others. Paul says, "Don't." he says, through love serve one another. That's how you fulfill the law. 
Now, one of our marks as a disciple here at the Hill is that of a, we, call, we say, a, a loving servant, which we take from John chapter 13, where after Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he gives what he calls a, a new command. After Jesus, the, the Lord of glory, the eternal Son of God, the, the, the one by through, and by, by through and for all things were made, he washes the disciples' feet. He gets up and he says, a new command I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And we should ask the question, what's new about this new commandment? For this is the repeated refrain of the Old Testament to love the Lord with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Exactly what Paul is quoting in Galatians and words Jesus, Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy. So the command to love and love as a motivation for service is not new. It's nothing new. So why does Jesus call it a new command? What's new about it? I think the standard of love has been made new in the gospel. Jesus said, a new command I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Just as I have loved you. That's the new standard. So we should ask, how has Jesus loved us? Well, John 13, Jesus entered a room with his disciples, and as the Lord of glory, he assumes the posture of a servant, of a slave, and he washes the disciples' feet. But we can't stop there. Because the humble service of our Savior in John 13 is meant to point us to the ultimate service he would provide on the cross where he, the Lord of glory, would lay down his life on our behalf. So the new standard of love is Jesus. His humble foot washing, yes, but ultimately in his death upon the cross. It is his sacrificial, self-denying death for our sins, which provides us with our new standard of love. And we love by serving one another, modeled after Jesus, the suffering servant. And what does that look like? Let me put some feet to that. Well, Paul does that in Galatians. He goes on in verse 22 to describe some of the marks of love, namely patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Love is patient towards those who aggravate and provoke us. Love thinks kind thoughts and performs good deeds. Love is faithful. Love is dependable. Love is reliable. Love is trustworthy. Further, if we love one another, we shall bear one another's burdens. Chapter 6, verse 2. Love is never greedy. It never grasps for things that aren't ours. To truly love someone is not to possess that person for ourselves, but to serve that person for themselves. Love's lo- love looks like putting the interests of others first. Paul says do nothing, in Philippians 2, Paul says do nothing from rivalry or selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. He grounds that strong statement in the beautiful reality of what Christ has done for us. 
So the truth is, competition, comparison, self-promotion go out the window when Christians truly love. When Christians truly embrace their true freedom in the gospel. We've been set free from those things to truly love God and fulfill the law by loving and serving one another. And to emphasize the importance of our love and service to one another, Paul presents here a, a, a very strong contrast in verse 15 to kind of focus on the importance of what he just said. Christ sets us free to oppose the flesh, yes, to love one another, yes, but now he sets us free from harming one another. In verse 15. In verse 15 again, he says, But, strong contrast, if you bite and devour one another, Watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So verse 15 is a kind of a sad window into the life of a congregation where the gospel of God's grace is gone. It's where Christian freedom is distorted and allowed to produce indulgence in the flesh. When indulgence in the flesh is the center of reality, this is the result. When self-love and self-indulgence reign in the congregation instead of loving or serving one another, we end up biting and devouring one another. These two words, bite and devour, are very strong. Speaking of you know, wild animals and a deadly struggle. Think about the two dogs at the park going at it with their owners, frantically trying to pull them apart with their leashes all wrapped up. It's always those little small dogs that do that. Paul's language is strong and deliberate here. And it's presented as an intentional antithesis of loving, of lovingly serving one another. And he says, watch out. It's a warning. Lest you consume one another. Annihilate one another. This word is used again in Luke 9.54 where the disciples... You remember this passage speaking of the Samaritans asked Jesus, Lord, uh, do we do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? It's a strong word. Paul uses it here, not in reference to a physical death or physical consumption, but spiritually. He's saying the unity and love which marks the Christian community. Will be consumed, annihilated. And therefore. What makes the Christian community will be gone. The Apostle Paul is providing a strong warning to the Galatians church that when the when the gospel of grace is distorted by either legalism or by license. It won't take long before envy, jealousy, gossip, division and strife follow. When the love of God in Christ as the motivation for Christian living is replaced by self-service and self-seeking and selfish ambition we will bite and devour one another and in the end consume one another. And we should notice here that these two deadly sayings are in fact one another statements. The contrast could not be any more clear. Through service, love one another, Paul says, versus bite and devour one another and consume one another. So what defines the difference I think is really what's at the center here. What love is at the center. One is love of self. Producing selfishness. The other is a love for God. 
producing gospel love and service to one another. A few weeks ago, my middle son Nathan got his driver's license, which means that I spent the past few months uh, teaching him how to drive. I'm not going to say anything funny. Come on. Um, so I, I taught him last couple of months, been teaching him how to drive. And if you've ever done that, you realize quickly when you're teaching somebody how to drive, you realize all the things you take for granted, all the things you just do without really thinking as you're driving. It's hard to teach those things. You have to really think, oh, yeah, I do that all the time, and I forgot about it. I have to take it. One of those is like using your mirrors, right? For a new driver, uh, being told you have to take your eyes off of the road in front of you and look at a mirror behind you while you're driving is a challenging thing to do. But it's something we do driving without thinking. You're constantly looking in two directions simultaneously all the time. Or you wouldn't be a good driver. You have to constantly see in front of you and behind you. It's that challenge I want to set before you. Spiritually. As we leave the last day of 2023. When you think about both looking behind you and looking in front of you. In terms of Christian freedom. In light of your Christian freedom, spend time surveying the previous year. In what ways of my, in my life last year did I allow the love of self to govern my thinking, my actions, more than the love of Christ? Or, or misapplying, not applying the Christian freedom reality of the gospel What things in my past or behind me are keeping me from living the Christian life today? Because I'm refusing to believe and rest in the righteousness of Christ, which has covered those things. Where did my selfishness maybe cause me to pull back from service, pull back from Christian community, and pull back from truly loving the body of Christ? And then how will... I walk in the freedom Christ has purchased for me this upcoming year. How will I combat the false gospel of performance before God and rest in the finished work of Jesus in 2024? We can only do that if we rest in the grace of God and the gospel message. The reality is, Christian, you are... No less saved today, right now, in this moment, than you will be the day you enter into glory. The day you stand before Jesus. Because Christ is the one who purchased your salvation. He's the one who accomplished your salvation. He's the one who holds your salvation. He's the one who secures your salvation. Christ purchased our freedom and he called us to walk in that freedom of the gospel by opposing the flesh by denying ourselves, by loving others, by serving the body of Christ, how can we, this year, truly fulfill the law of Christ, not live for ourselves, love the Lord Jesus, live for Him by serving and loving one another? Because Christ has set us free to love and to serve Him through a life of loving service to one another. We're going to pray And then we're going to sing, all glory be to Christ. And the reality of the application of this text, the reality of what's behind us last year and what's ahead of us this next year, 
is the removal, the, the right response is the removal of ourselves to live for the glory of Christ. So we want to pray and ask God to show us where we need to grow. And then we want to collectively confess the truth that we need to believe, which is all glory goes to Christ in all areas of our life. Jesus, we thank you for your work on our behalf. But I thank you for your sustaining work in our lives this last year. Lord, I thank you for your enduring grace in our lives. And Lord, I pray for any in this room who maybe heard the introduction to this sermon thinking about the false gospel of performance and trying to earn their way before the Lord. And Lord, anybody who was sort of convicted in their spirit that maybe that's me. I am believing a false gospel. God, I pray they would see that they are far too sinful to try to perform their way into the kingdom. But Lord, I pray they would see that you are far too gracious to leave them to themselves. And they would turn from their sin and see the wonderful gift that we have in Christ. And truly be able to experience uh, freedom. Freedom from themselves. Freedom from their own performance, freedom from trying to be something and prove themselves in this world to walking in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be free. And God, I pray for all of us, those who've been walking with Jesus for years or maybe new believers this last year, pray we would truly embrace, walk in, experience the freedom you have for us. Truly learn what it means to fulfill the law of Christ by getting outside of ourselves, by not living for ourselves, by loving and serving you, by laying down our lives and serving those around us. God, I'm thankful for the way our church models this in so many ways, the way I see this lived out in so many amongst our church. And God, we pray you would take what we have and multiply it. And now as we sing, Lord, Help us this truth to end 2023 and help it to motivate us into 2024. That all that we do, all that we say, we would do for the glory, for the praise of King Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.